Hello and welcome to Teach Me Something, the show where I learn cool things and I teach them to you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. This episode, we are going to talk about the Chicago River. Yes, we are. Um, why talk about this specific river? Good question. Uh, it's not very long. It's only about 250 kilometers. It's also not particularly important, though it has been used for shipping routes. Okay. I mean, you know, in history there are important rivers, and then there were rivers. All rivers are kind of important, but and there this are one was short. rivers. It was short. Couldn't even not play basketball important. or volleyball. I mean, you could play, it could play libero, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Certainly. Um, but it is noteworthy for an entirely different reason. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is that it is the only river that's been permanently reversed by people. And by reversed, you mean the flow of water reversed from going reversed one direction, direction yes, to the other. I do. In the olden days, the river ran east through Chicago and into Lake Michigan. Because as everyone here knows, the geography of Illinois, Chicago is just west of Lake Michigan. It's a good thing you reminded everybody else, and because I... 100% knew that geometry very well. Did you know that geometry? Yeah, that's why I used geometry into the geography, hoping to slip that one in there to make that statement <laughs> still true. <laughs> um, okay, oh dear. Um, so, the river used to run through Chicago and into Lake Michigan, but after the reversal now, it runs west out of Lake Michigan through Chicago the other way. Um, in into the uh, Des Plaines River, some other, a few little smaller rivers, and then into the Mississippi. Right. Which, again, as we all know, I totally knew this, totally, um, Mississippi empties into the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, that one I did know. Oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah, absolutely. I knew the first one, but not that one. So. Okay. Well, then between the two of us... We've got it covered. All of you it. You know what? I, yeah. Okay, great. Perfect. Super team. So my questions were, you know, when, why, but... Mostly how. how. No, just how. Where? I I knew the where. I do know the what and the where. That's why I looked into it. I thought when you're going to like set up all those other questions, you have to go into those ones as well. Um, no. Okay. No, don't make rules. I have no rules for what I'm supposed to do. Okay. I just, I just look into things that are cool. Fair enough. And this is cool. Okay. Well, then how about you teach me something? So river reversals. Yes. Are not actually that rare. They're not as rare as you would think, let's say. Um, But the reversals are usually temporary. Okay. And they aren't man-made. Oh, that's what I was going to (laughs) ask. No, Chicago River is, like like I said, the only documented case of of like an artificially reversed river. Um, Are the other ones such as like, um, oh man, down in the Amazon, I think it's when there's like the right lunar event then the ocean actually pushes water up the amazon temporarily like that's that that would be a case of a river reversal right um correct my next bullet point reads okay. temporary river reversals happen either intermittently due to storm surges or regularly all tidal sections of rivers so you know the parts right by the ocean right. um reverse their tide twice a day with it, with it makes tide. sense. Okay. Yeah, right? So the St. John River, for example, which empties into the Bay of Fundy, is known for its reversing falls. Okay. 
other rivers reverse regularly due to recurring weather patterns. Um, so I'm going to say this horribly. The Patex-Batun River in Guatemala reverses its flow annually because of flooding during like the rainy winter season. Sure. Um, the the Quintang River in China, which em- empties into the Hangzhou Bay, reverses every year right around August 15th. Same oh. time every year. Because of a tidal bore in the bay. Okay. Um, and then every year monsoons cause flooding of the Mekong River which causes the Tonle Sap River, which normally enters the Mekong, to reverse direction and flow away. So these are examples of, um, yeah, like a regular pattern of reversal. Um, another river known for reversing intermittently is actually the Mississippi. Really? It reversed direction in 1812, which was caused by the New Madrid earthquakes. See, I know there was like a New Amsterdam and a New York and a New Mexico. I didn't know there was a, a New Madrid in, sure. in the U.S. in Why the not? 1800s. It's probably new everything. Right. I mean, yeah, all the colonizers are really creative about their naming choices. Yeah, right. I come from here, and this is new here. Right. Um, so it also reversed direction, the Mississippi, in uh, 2005, 2012, and 2021. Now, do you uh, know what those years have in common? Do you, do you, do you know what happened kings? in 2005? Sure was. Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. Now, are, Her- are we talking about, like, a small amount of the river near the Gulf of Mexico being reversed? Or are we talking about yeah. um, a larger segmentation of the river? No. Exactly okay. what you said. Okay. A huge storm. I'm not, I'm not sure the length of, but yes, starting at the Gulf of Mexico and up from there yeah. is, is where it was reversing. But, like, no, I'm not sure the length of... Of reversal. Of reversal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Hurricane Katrina was 2005, Hurricane Isaac in 2012, and just just this past uh, fall here, Hurricane Ida mm-hmm. caused Mississippi to reverse direction. Um, and interestingly, the Chicago River also intermittently reverses, which is confusing because it's reversing from the reversed way we made it run. So I, I think it... I don't know if it intermittently reverses these days or if it intermittently goes back to normal. It's hard to... <laughs> that's a, that's okay. a, like a meta kind of right. problem here. I'm a little stuck on that. So, yes. Um, basically, um, 33 billion gallons um, of water have flown... Water? I'm putting in quotes because I kind of know a little bit about this story. But keep going. <laughs> have uh flown from the you know the river into lake michigan in the last decade okay so so to clarify remember they reversed it out of lake michigan right but just in the last decade because of all these reversals 33 billion gallons of yummy not polluted at all chicago river water mm-hmm. um flow into lake michigan in the last decade and just to clarify, people get their drinking water from there. <laughs> or fish. Um, yeah. Basically, when the system can't handle intense rainfall, their sewers fill and the sewers dump into the river. And when the river fills with all the storm water, which is now all contaminated with all the sewer stuff, um, it swells. And then because it gets so high, gravity takes over because the river level rises above the lake level. And then water starts to go downhill as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Chicago River will change direction and flow 
into Lake Michigan again. Um, the only other permanent reversal that we've ever recorded is the reversal of the Amazon River in the Cretaceous period. I cool. don't know how they know this. I didn't have time to look this up. I wonder how you figured that out. So, um, because I had to look this up every time, the Cretaceous period occurred between 145 and 66 million years ago. Okay. So at some point during the, like that time, the Amazon River reverse flow, it used to empty into the Pacific. And then because of the formation of the Andes mountain range, yeah, it reversed flow into the Atlantic instead. Cool. Yeah. Um, but back to the Chicago River. Uh, as is usually the case, I think we should begin at the beginning. Interesting. Um, which is in Chicago. Uh, kind of in the mid-18th or 19th century, like 1800s right now. Right. Um, and, you know, thanks to its location right at the southern tip of Lake Michigan, Chicago was a, like a booming commercial hub by the end of the 19th century. Um, and in fact, in the mid to late 19th century, it was the fastest growing city in the world. I'm sure that the stockyards were part of that. That's a herald back to some other ones we did. It's in my next bullet point. I, I swear <laughs> well, to God. Maybe, maybe I'll just let you, you know, make this go along. I want I want your commentary. I just want you to add additional things, not the thing I was going to say next. Well, we'll Can see about that. Can you stop reading my mind or like read it better? One, one of the two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to clarify for everyone listening, Everett's not looking at my computer Apparently, when you're married for a while, you just start to think all the same yeah. thoughts. Um, <laughs> so, so yes, Chicago was growing from a frontier town to a major metropolis, and the river became less like a river and more like a gutter of waste that fed directly into the city's drinking water. Um, by the late 1800s, Chicago was already over 1.5 million people. Wow, that's right? a lot for that's that time. Yeah. yeah. But not only were, you know, the people moving in and making waste, there were also tons of new businesses and factories and stockhouses moving in. And then I wrote right here, you remember the Chicago stockyards, don't you? <laughs> From that yes, other episode. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> um, anyways, this stuff was all covered in a book you also may have heard of called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, which if you haven't heard of it, you did not listen to our Poison Squad series for shame. Um, but if you're interested, you could go back and listen to the Poison Squad. Yeah, episodes so, 10 through 13. Oh, yes. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, <laughs> so Sinclair said the river was so filled with animal bits and waste that the surface of the water was semi-solid. Um, a chicken could walk across it, he said. Maybe a human, though you wouldn't want to try on the off chance you'd touch the water. Again, water, water yes, air quotes. Yeah. Um, Sinclair described a really bad stretch he called the Great Open Sewer. That was actually, he called it that, but the locals called it Bubbly Creek. In fact, they still do yeah. call it Bubbly Creek. Um, and it got its name because of all the methane that bubbles to the surface. Um, the methane, of course, is produced by all the decomposing and rotting things in the water. That's what rivers are supposed to do. Yeah, Bubble. yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, the river was so dirty, it actually periodically just caught fire due to all the grease and, uh, like, fat from all the decomposing animals. Good for fires. Um, and all those gases, like methane. Anyway, so the river would just be on fire every once in a while. 
Um, I recall another river being really dirty and it was on fire and it was the whole reason they made the EPA. It was in Cleveland, wasn't it? Cuyahoga River. I don't recall this one. I'm not sure. He's in that song at the start of Major League, the movie Major League, which I love. We haven't been married long enough for me to... You've watched Major League with me so much. I know. Randy Newman sings that opening song about burn on Great River, burn on. And it was about Cleveland. So it's got to be in Cleveland. Okay. I think it's Cuyahoga River. Um... Oh dear. I think that has to go on our list. I, I might have to look into this because I'm sure. pretty sure that river caught on fire and then they made the EPA because everyone was like, rivers should not be catching on fire. So yeah, this river caught on fire too. Okay. All the time. So, <laughs> but as I've mentioned, the biggest problem with that disgusting river is that it dumped all its disgustingness straight into Lake Michigan, where Chicago got and still gets their drinking water. Um, and so waterborne, waterborne illnesses were threatening the city. Yeah. Um, but side note, there's, there's been this persistent myth that over 90,000 people died of cholera, cholera you know, typhoid dysentery in 1885. There's big epidemic of waterborne illness and over 90,000 died. Um, but in reality, it has no basis in fact, like whatsoever. There, there was, yeah, like a huge storm and a flood in 1885, waste got into the drinking water. We'll talk about that, but I mean, yes, there was always cases of cholera and typhoid and dysentery in this in this time, but there were no big outbreaks in 1885. And uh, in fact, it the last big cholera outbreak in Chicago was actually 1867. Is um, after that they really finally started to do something about their their water. So it really was an issue as much of an issue after that. Um, it might have been government propaganda, like they might have been kind of making up a rumor to get the people to agree with their plans and their money spending. And they're like, see, we have to do this, people. Right. I don't know. Possibly. Um, there were actually fewer deaths from waterborne illness in 1885 than in previous years. That's the, the okay. true fact. But despite the myth, like I said, there's still there was a real issue here. Sure. Uh, Chicago realized they had to do something to fix the sewage problem. So they hired an engineer named Ellis Sylvester Chesbro. They did. To come up with a plan. And uh, Mr. Chesbro was ambitious, to say the least. So he designed the first comprehensive sewer system in America for Chicago. Very cool. You know what sewers generally are, yes. They're, yeah. they're underneath things and work mostly on gravity and such. Yep. Um, which makes it tough to retrofit. Yeah. So he said, no problem. We'll just raise the city. If the pipes need to go under the city, then we just need to raise the city. Standard response. All of the city. 1.5 million people city. So, So everybody just jump all at the same time. They got to work. (laughs) They dredged up a ton of clay from the lake. They use it to pack up the streets two to ten feet higher. That's how that's how high they raise the city anywhere from two to ten feet. Wow. Um, long stretches of buildings. Well, they tackled that by getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men with hundreds and hundreds of jacks that were all, you know, a few feet from each other. And a guy with a bullhorn just yelling, now, every time they were supposed to crank their jack. And they just raised up city blocks at a time. And put um, clay underneath. And they put 
Well, they put clay like to, to build up the streets. Yeah. They didn't clarify what exactly they did underneath these places after they put the pipes in. Sure. Um, most people just kind of moved up a floor. They're like, okay, my first floor is now my like basement. basement, and I'll just be on this floor now. It's good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but those fancy new sewers still just dumped directly into Lake Michigan. <laughs> It's not really that helpful. Yeah, um, I guess it helped the waste get away from a little the further buildings. away from people. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, the next idea Chesbro came up with was uh, called a water intake crib. I don't know why it's called a crib because it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't resemble a crib. It kind of resembles a silo. So think of it like he thought two miles out offshore into Lake Michigan, that has got to be much cleaner than by the shore. Probably it correct. It looked much cleaner out there. Yeah. So what they did was they had people go two miles out onto the lake and build like, I mean, it looks like a brick silo down to the bottom of the lake bed, like a big tunnel that mm-hmm. would intake the water somehow. And then they dug 60, uh, 60 feet down on shore and 60 feet down under the lake bed and connected that well 60 feet, feet down from, from the, the shore lake. and then yeah 60 yes they it was like they were trying to connect a 60 foot tunnel down correct below the lake bed below the lake bed so it was they, a two mile tunneled, long tunnel right. 60 feet deep and but 60 feet deep from the lake bed like they had to go deeper on land Yes. Keep no, going. I think it was 60 feet from the land, and I don't remember. Okay. Um, the important part was they had to dig down 60 feet and two miles. It's a long way. It was a huge undertaking. Yeah. So they were kind of made, like just making a well, almost like a right. like a a well on shore to get water from the middle of the lake. Um, and then he had a third idea, and his third idea. Um, you already know about it, was reversing the river. So an intermittent reversal of the Chicago River that just happened, you know, happened to happen, he took notice and he thought, all right, this is a good idea. We can do this. We can do this so that we can keep dumping all of our disgusting sewage in the river, but it'll go away. Right. Away from our drinking water. Perfect solution. Um, (laughs) And like, if this... Sounds like a bit of an overreaction and like maybe they skipped a few possible options or ideas or like kind of like a, like a, like a huge leap. Um, well, that's what I thought. No, you don't think so. It's a perfectly reasonable solution. Yeah. Something that no one's ever done. Go big or go home. Uh, Grandiose no right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the city, the city liked the idea. And I'm going to explain it a little bit. Okay. So just west of Chicago mm-hmm. is what's called a subcontinental divide. It's a geographic high point, though it's a pretty flat area. You wouldn't notice it per se. Sure. But it, geographically, it's a high point. Anything to the west of this divide will, f- like water-wise, yes. not just anything. Cows don't flow down. Um, to well, the naturally, they'll migrate at that point. Right, right. Anything to the west migrates toward down towards the Mississippi. Yeah. And anything east migrates towards the Great Lakes. There you go. Um, so Chesbro want, wants to dig, his idea is to dig a ditch 
or canal through this subcontinental divide and make the ditch progressively deeper, deeper than both the river and the lake. Mm -hmm. And then gravity would carry the water away from the Great Lakes. Correct. It was a great plan. Unless you live downstream, but they didn't consider that. So we shouldn't either. Well, and the other thing too Mm -hmm. is if you're, you know, flowing sewage down from your city to another city, I mean, how else to build like a sports rivalry than to, you know, get everybody really into. Yeah, I wonder how Chicago and St. Louis felt about each other before this happened in history. Because I. Some of the sources I read made it seem like they were already rivals, so this was like a stick of it to them. Sure. But some of the sources I read were like, no wonder they don't like each other now because of this. So yeah. who knows where where it started. But um, but they knew this like digging a ditch across a, the canal thing would work because they did it before. Mm-hmm. Um, they cut across the divide in 1848 to make the Illinois and Michigan Canal to give them shipping access to the Mississippi. Perfect. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So in 1871, they tried to make the river reverse by just deepening that canal. You know, they already had one. Let's sure. just make it deeper. Let's make this work. Um, and it did for almost a year. And then it didn't. <laughs> it went back the next year. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and they understood now that they they're going to have to dig a whole new canal here. Um, but here's the thing, is 1871 was not a good year for Chicago. It was a real bad year for Chicago. Got it. Um, let, I mean, first, Chicago and Illinois were still pretty devastated and broke from, you know, the Civil War. Yeah. That little thing that just ended a few years ago, right? Um, and then there was this fire you might have heard of called the Great Chicago Fire. I had. It, well, it happened in... 1871. This is the one, the the story always goes, Bessie the cow knocked over the... Oh, I thought that was an earlier fire. Yeah, maybe. It could have been that one. Chicago had a few famous fires in history. Did the river catch fire this time? Uh, <laughs> was it part of the general Great Fire? I didn't look into the Great F- Chicago Fire. That that was not what this episode was okay. about. I could probably do a whole other episode about uh, that. I'm, I'm going to assume that the, the river was on fire, too. Yeah, we could. Participated in the event. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll give you some stats here. So this fire killed about 300 people, destroyed about nine square kilometers of the city. Wow, okay. I have a question. I'm so bad with this every time. Does nine square kilometers mean a square three by three or a square nine by nine? No, three by three. Okay. Burned. It burned 17,000 structures and left more than 100,000 people homeless, which, as you'll recall from the population numbers, is just under 10% of their whole population. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so, needless to say, the city of Chicago took some time to get some funds and, I don't know, tend to more pressing, urgent matters before yeah. they could set this other plan in motion. Um, it was actually the huge storm I kind of mentioned earlier in 1885 that finally got the ball rolling here. Um, it's like So the storm flooded the river and belched this huge plume of sewage into Lake Michigan, which caused a big panic because the sewage was fairly close to this two-mile offshore water intake crab. Um, I kind of scared people, and they realized what could happen if there's a big rain. Yeah. And that their intake crib would not keep them safe. So a plan emerged again to cut through the ridge and reverse the flow permanently. And 
just to clarify here, I'm going to give you kind of the water pattern. So what they wanted to do was take the water from Lake Michigan, have it flow through their new canal into the Chicago River, or not, well, into Chicago River, then through their new canal, into the Des Plaines River, and then the Illinois River, and that's when the water will get to the Mississippi and then the Gulf of Mexico. So that's kind of the geography of how the water flows there. Um, but unfortunately for Ellis Sylvester Chesbro, he didn't live long enough to see this plan approved. Um, he passed away in 1886. And in 1887, Chicago, the city government finally like voted officially to reverse the river. Got it. In 1889, the Illinois General, General Assembly created the Sanitary District of Chicago as a department that would manage the city's water supply and manage this whole river reversal project. So today, this is either, they're still around, um, but now they're called the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. It's kind of more of a mouthful now. Yeah. I don't love it. Um, and as I touched on early, earlier, the idea, the idea here is, is quite simple, and it's really clever just to let gravity do the work and take advantage of the geography around you. Um, I'm hoping I've like explained it well, but I'm not sure if I understand as well as you probably do, Everett. Sure. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that that's clear? Like how how the water is being reversed? Well, at this point, it's like the canal gets deeper and deeper, especially until you cross the continent. There, not the continental divide, but subcontinental subcontinental divide. So that water is continuously, effectively flowing downhill. It's yeah. basically all that's happening. Yeah, simple premise, right? It's yeah. just, yeah, so very smart. So they got set to dig this canal. They called it the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal. Um, it was going to address not only the city's sewage needs, but also the shipping, like commercial navigation and stuff. Because ships float on refuge, like, much better than water. Refuse, not refuge. <laughs> I don't drive a ship and never have. Probably never will. You'd have to ask a ship captain how well their ship cuts through carcasses and rotting things. And Nice. Um, so construction finally begins in 1892, six years after Chesbro has died, mm -hmm. for this project. Um, they use things like steam shovels and hydraulic suction dredges. And like this is relatively new technology that was just really important to excavate this area. Um, so this, like all the innovative techniques and the new machines, like new things were invented just for this project. And like they used a kind of a new implementation of the steam shovel by putting them on rails. Hmm. Um, anyways, so this became known as a Chicago school of earth moving. Cool. And, uh, these methods were highly influential on future projects like construction of Panama Canal. They took everything they learned here and, and use it to build the Panama Canal. Um, but like, it was definitely not smooth sailing by any means. Um, a huge hurdle they had to overcome was a strike of about 2000 union workers, um, in like these little town, an area that's called Lamont and, uh, Joliet, which I have only ever heard of because of the Blues Brothers. Yeah. He um, was in prison in Joliet. Anyway. <laughs> I see I'm on the same page as you on that one, yeah. Fun fact, though, this Lamont town was also the home to an earlier worker uprising, which was known as the Lamont Massacre of 1885. Well, that sounds like it went well. Uh, it involved, well, it went well for someone, I guess. 
It involved a labor dispute with Lamont Quarry workers and the owners. Um, I'll let you guess uh, who was massacred there. The battle was so intense the governor called in the militia, the Illinois militia, and three men were killed, several men and women were injured. So yeah, Lamont was no stranger to worker uprisings. This time, the strike began uh, June 1st, 1893. Quarrymen went out to protest, protest a wage cut, which, like, you've got to know they were paying nothing to begin with, and sure. then their wages got cut. Like, oh my goodness. Um, 1,200 canal workers. So these were quarrymen, unrelated to the canal. Sure. But 1,200 canal workers joined their cause, basically. Okay. Um, this This is especially in Chicago, um, kind of like workers' rights and union activity. And like, this was like a big deal in this point of history. Um, there's a lot of strikes and uprisings and, and some owners had to finally deal with a bit of a reckoning here. Um, so it's, it's not surprising that all of this was happening in this time and place. Um, so basically from, you know, June 1st to June 9th, there was some vandalism and, and to be quite honest, slander from officials about how, how violent all these picketers were. And, um, of course, not backed up by fact. But on the 9th, there was uh, kind of a kerfuffle between the strikers and the replacement workers and local law enforcement. So the governor of Illinois called the 1st and 2nd Regiment of the Illinois National Guard. And mm-hmm. as often goes, the, 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 it turned violent. Um, yeah. It doesn't usually... Settled down much once you call in the National Guard. Doesn't seem to. At least by story. Just ask Ohio. Um, Dozens were wounded. At least seven were killed, including a 17-year-old bystander. And then the strike was mysteriously settled by the 15th. I have looked at the original newspaper articles from the 1800s and it just says the strike was settled. (laughs) No details. I don't understand how that happened, but okay. (laughs) So they were able to finish construction, right, kind of by the end of 1899, start of 1900. And they ended up with this 45-kilometer-long canal that connected the Chicago River and the Des Plaines River. Right. And as I said earlier, the channel had to be dug deep. Had to be below lake level, right? So it was 7.3 meters deep at its deepest. Okay. And it was 62 meters wide. Yeah, that's very wide. So those, right. So those measurements made it uh, over three times the size of the previous canal, that Illinois and Michigan right. canal. So it, again, huge, huge undertaking. They removed 42 million cubic yards of rock and dirt. It was the largest earth moving project ever at the time. Sure. Um, so to stick with Chicago landmarks here, that's enough like dirt to fill the Sears, I guess it's called the Willis Tower now, Sears Tower, Willis Tower, over 20 times. Doesn't really help me picture it very well, but okay. Well, until recently, that was the tallest building in the world. Does that help? No, no, no. I I know what the building is. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like trying to even picture like two of the building or like how much dirt would fit in three of that building, 20. It it just seems like so much. It seems unfathomable. Yeah. You're right. The numbers are staggering. Yeah. Um, And again, all this happening like 1900, like that's uh, very impressive engineering and very impressive building. 
probably not very impressive um, workers' rights from what I'm reading, but um, uh, hopefully we get better. <laughs> uh, so as you may imagine, St. Louis, who was just down, you know, the Mississippi, and other places downstream of Chicago didn't really think much of this plan to turn the river into Chicago's toilet. They were unhappy. Shocking. Um, Chicago came up with this catchy slogan and like marketing plan just to convince everyone it was going to be okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's the slogan. The solution to pollution is dilution. And Yay. they were trying to convince everyone that like, no, but we're, le- we're releasing all of this like pure clean lake water with all of our sewage because it's coming from Lake Michigan. So it'll just dilute it down and uh, and it'll be fine. It'll get cleaner and cleaner the farther down the river it goes. That's how this works. I um, mean, the thing is that they're technically correct in saying it'll get cleaner the further down the river it goes. But that's suggesting that it's clean enough <laughs> by the time it reaches anything. To which not is, have you dive dysentery on the Oregon Trail. Yeah, which happens far too often. I, I wonder if people don't know that game. Yeah, that might be And now our... they think my geography is <laughs> yeah. really bad because Oregon is never... That might be from our childhood and, and that narrow band of generations. You I don't say know. our childhood, but everyone around me talked... Like, I've never seen this game. You've never Everyone talked about Oregon Trail and I've never seen Oh, I seen died of dysentery game. so many times in that game. Right? Everyone talks about it. Yeah. I never saw it. So, you know... Other places are unhappy. Shocking. The canal was supposed to open January 17th, 1900. But Chicago heard how unhappy some other places were with them. And they kind of heard through the grapevine that Missouri was going to try to file an injunction to stop the canal from opening. So in the early hours of January 2nd, 1900, a handful of workers and construction officials and their wives for some reason and like one or two Group effort. reporters that they were going to give the exclusive to kind of snuck down while it was still dark to the last remaining dam that was holding the water out of the canal and they tried to break it. But did bad. Yeah. Shovels <laughs> didn't work then... Then steam shovels didn't work. Yeah. See, this is Chicago in January. As people around here probably understand, things are frozen, like permafrost frozen. Yeah. And like, well, permafrost might not be the right word, but clay also. Yeah. We're right by the Great Lakes. This is, this is frozen clay. Yeah. Um, dynamite was the winner here. That's what 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 they needed. Um, and the river reversed. It worked. So the complete flow of water was finally let through the canal on January 17th, which was when it was supposed to open, which also happens to be the same day Missouri brought suit against the Sanitary District of Chicago and State of Illinois on behalf of St. Louis. Um, as I've said before, they St. Louis got their drinking water out of the Mississippi, and they didn't buy Chicago's the solution to pollution is dilution argument. Yeah, um, I wouldn't either if I were them. <laughs> But the lawsuit took its time working its way through the courts um, and eventually got all the way up to the Supreme Court. It was the first pollution case tried in U.S. Supreme Court. Um, And in in 1906, it was settled finally when the judges ruled in Chicago's favor. You see, Missouri, they said, was unable to prove that the pollution in the Mississippi came from Chicago. 
one of their points was like everyone's dirty. Yeah. This is the 18 1900s. We just everyone's gross. No one has good sanitation kind of thing. Um someone you may have heard of Oliver Wendell Holmes was the justice who wrote the opinion here or wrote the I don't know what you call it. That the thing, verdict? The, the decision. The verdict, you're right. He wrote the verdict. Um, and he said that Missouri's allegation that all of the sewage he was coming from Chicago was an inference of the unseen. Um, and he also called them hip- hypocrites. He said, if we are to judge by what the plaintiff itself permits, the discharge of sewage into the Mississippi by cities and towns is to thus be expected. Because, I mean... What did you think like St. Louis yeah. did with their waste? They sent it downstream the Mississippi. Yeah. So apparently it was okay because everyone was doing it. And That's usually a good argument thirdly, that wins everything. Right? But this argument's even better. Thirdly, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who, like, why have I heard of him? I don't know, but I have. Um, he kind of went with a, oh, well, it's already done approach. Yeah. Um, what's done is done. They're not it asking too for hard. permission here. Exactly. So. so some kind of feel like if the lawsuit was filed and heard before the construction was complete, I mean, maybe the case would have gone differently. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. So let's talk about kind of the physical aftermath and the consequences of the river reversal. Okay, I like this quote a lot. So a few days after the water was fully released into the canal... According to a paper called the Chicago Record, water that was actually blue in color and had blocks of ice of a transparent green hue floating in it caused people who crossed bridges over the Chicago River to stop and stare in amazement. Mm -hmm. They saw water that was the color it was supposed to be and all stopped in their tracks. How disgusting was it there? Oh my god. Well, obviously not anymore. Quite imagine. But complications started piling up downstream almost immediately. Um, the influx of water from Lake Michigan nearly doubled the size of the Illinois River. So, <laughs> sure. as I said before, the water goes from the Des Plaines River into the Illinois River. Um, so the banks started to erode. Farmland was swallowed. Wildlife habitat was consumed. All up and down the valley. It was great. Um, by 1905, actually, there were almost 300 landowners in the Illinois Valley that had already filed suit against the Sanitary District of Chicago. Um, luckily, the bill that created the Sanitary District also included a provision to compensate those downstream landowners for the damages caused by additional water. Oh, they, they had thought of this, right? But for some reason, they didn't want to pay the money that they provisioned in the bill. Oh, shocking. So, um, you know, they fought the claims real hard. Most were resolved decades later, and for much less than they asked for. As of 1919, the Sanitary District had settled only 123 of the 272 claims that were filed. So a little under half. A little under half for a total of just 370,000 out of the requested 2.4 million. That's significantly less. Yeah. So um, they said they were prepared to help the people out, and then they went back on that. So um, That's always good for building relations. I would say that, yeah. Other people in Illinois probably didn't like Chicago so much at this point. 
Yeah. And uh, this probably doesn't surprise you, but the river got real gross downstream. Uh, in 1911, two biologists from the Illinois National or Natural History Survey evaluated the Illinois River in a town that was about like 100 kilometers southwest of Chicago. And they found that, quote, the water was grayish and sloppy with foul privy odors distinguishable in hot weather, putrescent masses of soft graying or blackish slimy matter loosely held together by threads of fungi were floating down the stream. The fish disappeared from the Illinois River. Um, as pollution increased, the oxygen levels in the water dropped, which killed off the fish or forced yeah. them into cleaner tributaries. Yeah. Um, farmers soon started to make um, levees to reclaim their land. By 1929, a total of 200,000 acres in the Illinois Valley floodplain had been manipulated by drainage and levee districts. So... Um, I wouldn't say that any of this had a small impact on the environment. I would say that yeah. humans kind of played God with this one and oof. Oof. So I, I, I think officials knew by this point that the dilution approach was, uh, was the wrong one. Um, but, you know, I think they just kind of hadn't want to pony up the money to do something else to solve it. And uh, Well, from their perspective, it was still solved. Right? I mean, what were they supposed to do? Like, Somebody else's problem now. Not put pure untreated sewage directly into the river? That's crazy talk. I know. It's crazy talk. Um, around 1920, Chicago and other cities finally started to treat their sewage. Um, not well and not much. The technology was bad. Progress was slow. Um, Basically, in 1929, they started to open, like, treatment plants and other kind of infrastructure projects to treat the wastewater. Um, in 1930, they actually transferred management of the canal to the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Cool. Because it affects so many other areas of the country as well. Right. Um, the Corps of Engineers reduced the flow of water from Lake Michigan into the canal, um, but they kept it open for navigation, like shipping. Um, it wasn't until the 1970s, following passage of the Clean Water Act, which, again, I suspect was something that came out of the creation of the EPA because of that other river fire. Gotta look into this. Um, things finally started to recover a little bit in the rivers. Okay. Um, the number of fish species found in the Chicago River went from less than 10 to more than 70. So that's a good sign. Um, so let's look at the good and the bad and the ugly of reversing the Chicago River. Okay. So the good. Um, if we're speaking about did they achieve their aim, the reversal of the Chicago River was successful. Um, they protected Lake Michigan from Chicago's sewage and, as Chicago officials put it, prevented thousands of people from dying from a rogues gallery of waterborne illnesses. They're pretty high on themselves, let's say. Um, also, as we talked about, this project was a, you know, a huge and massive undertaking and it was historical. It, it created new yeah. technology, new techniques, amazing learning opportunities for civil engineering. Um, he said Panama Canal probably would have been a much rougher road if they hadn't had this experience first. Um, this canal was named a civil engineering monument of the millennium in 1999. 
I don't know if there's some bias though, because that was given to them by the American Society of Civil Engineers. Well, I don't know if there's some home country bias. I yeah. don't know anything about the society. Maybe it's. I'm surprised they didn't objective. call it the eighth wonder of the world yet. I think they did. Someone okay. did. I read. That's, that seems about right. That was on the PBS video, I think. Okay. Just I have this recurring theme of eighth wonder of the world popping up a number of times in the United States. Yeah, there's a lot of eighth wonders. The bad. Let's get to the bad. Okay. There's a lot of that. Um, first, the reverse river sends 23,000 gallons of fresh water. I'm sorry I keep using gallons. It's really hard to keep converting stuff from sure. American sources. We're just going to go with it. Um, 23,000 gallons of fresh water into the ocean every... Minute. Second. Close. <laughs> Off by a factor, like I could have said day, <laughs> week, year. You're right. It was the closest. <laughs> yeah. It was the closest. Like um, on a on a log scale, I'm pretty close. Just one away, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's bad. That is not how the water cycle was. I don't want to say designed, but naturally uh, balanced up to this point. Correct. That's just that's not how it's supposed to be. That's bad. Second, this new canal became a highway for invasive species since it's connecting two river bases and systems that shouldn't have been connected. Right. I didn't even think about that. And yeah. weren't previously connected. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one you've probably heard of is the Asian carp. Now, the Asian carp, if we had known, how many times can we say that? If we had known how invasive and terrible it was going to be, they probably shouldn't have let anyone farm them. In Mississippi, but uh, or in a river that could connect to the Mississippi, but they did. Um, so they first escaped some containment ponds in Alabama in the early 70s. By the 90s, they were eating and breeding their way up Mississippi, and they outcompeted all the native filter feeders, like big mouth buffalo and the gizzard shad. Mm, buffalo just... usually walk on land, but <laughs> no, it's, cool. it's a type of fish, and uh, I picked it because its name sounded funny. There's a lot of other ones that the Asian carp has out-competed and caused Cortez, comp- serious harm. Right. But gizzard, shad, and big mouth buffalo were entertaining. Good. Um, you know, they've since been found just miles outside of Chicago, which um, I'm sure you understand that that's very bad because if they're miles outside of Chicago, they're very close to the Great Lakes. Correct. Um, so... Joel Brammeyer, president and CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes, says that not only do the Asian carp undermine the ecology, they're causing huge economic damage. Um, so, of course, when they eat all the food out of the water and they breed better than any other fish, they totally undermine native fishery that those tourism economies are depending on. Yeah. Um, this year, actually, 2021, the Army Corps of Engineers began a huge project to address the Asian carp invasion. Um, they've been planning it for years. So this is in total a $858 million, like US dollar plan that's going to have several measures to prevent the carp from moving further upstream. They are using things like acoustic deterrence and electric barriers. But at wow. all costs, we do not want these fish to get into the Great Lakes. They don't Got belong it. there. Um, third, the environmental damage caused by the Chicago River reversal can be felt as far away as the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, yes. Um, when heavy rains flood the sewers, untreated wastewater still gets released directly into the river. And that's 
you know, I mean, Chicago's not the only place that that happens, but it's, it's a big, it's a big issue in Chicago. Um, the discharge released into the river contains phosphorus at levels that are harmful to marine life. And while some of Chicago's phosphorus is absorbed by, um, you know, different biological chemical things along, along the way, um, a portion of it definitely makes its way all the way down the Mississippi and into the Gulf, which is feeding these massive algae blooms. Um, and as the algae decomposes, it consumes the oxygen in the water. Sure. I'm not really, I'm not really sure how decomposing consumes oxygen because I haven't looked into it. Um, I mean, it's going to be a chemical reaction that requires oxygen. Right. Got it. Um, So these areas become uninhabitable to marine life and they're called dead zones. So the Gulf of Mexico, the estimated dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico is about 8,500 square kilometers. Wow. That's the second largest in the world. And as you know, the Gulf of Mexico has not, this is not the only thing that's happened in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, the oil didn't help either. <laughs> the oil didn't help. Um, storms constantly. A lot of things sure. getting washed into water that shouldn't be. I mean, and let's make no mistake, like fertilizer and other runoff coming down is is a huge, yeah. a huge culprit too. But um, Chicago's wastewater is one of the largest single contributors of phosphorus pollution to the dead zone today. So wow. um, it's terrible. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's not just like, oh, this happens in Chicago and then, oh, poor Gulf of Mexico. It's like the Illinois River, the Des Plaines River. There's algae blooms all along there, different, um, different impacts. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, the good thing is um, it's dilution. So, you know, the solution to pollution is dilution. So it's diluted and, across the entirety of the Mississippi, like lakes and the Gulf of Mexico, like think of how much dilution happens once it hits there. And as as you all know, if you rhyme, then you're correct every time. That's right. Um, I now believe you. Uh, so that big long name I said before, the Municipal Water Resource Greater Chicago, whatever, that department, they've, they've been working on this. They've been trying to discharge, like cut the discharge levels a lot in the past decade. In 2017, you know, um, they agreed to a settlement with a bunch of environmental groups like the National Resources Defense Council and Friends of the Chicago River, and it's going to significantly reduce the phosphorus output by 2030. Hmm. I don't want to say too little too late, but let's see. Cross your fingers. Yeah. Um, and now to the ugly. Oh, boy. That was in the bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I guess lay it on me. Well, there's just no nice way to say this. To this day... Chicago's sewage treatment system discharges fecal matter, which is only lightly treated directly into the canal. Uh, The environmental group American Rivers named Chicago's river one of America's 10 most endangered rivers, primarily because they still dump inadequately treated waste into it. So this is it. This is not the past. Just to be clear, we are talking about now. Because of their concerns about chlorine, like apparently there's no other solutions, Chicago, quote, has a rare distinction among major American cities. It does not employ a disinfection stage at its three main sewage treatment plants. So 
The result is canal water with fecal coliform colonies. There's signs along the canal that say, warning, contents are not suitable for, quote, any human body content. Contact. Yeah. Yeah, not consumption. No. no contact. Yeah. Literally, do not let this water touch your skin. This is today. I'm talking about now. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the past anymore. It's crazy. Um, one official, you know, put it best when he said other cities around the Great Lakes are able to treat their wastewater so that it's acceptable to discharge into the Great Lakes. And there is no technical reason why Chicago can't do that. Just none. <laughs> um, so is there maybe a re-reversal in our future? In recent years, the Alliance for the Great Lakes and some others have floated another bold idea, which is to construct a permanent barrier to disconnect the watersheds, which Mm -hmm. would, you know, reverse the river again. Um, It's the surest way to stop the invasive species from moving back and forth between the watersheds. Um, Reversing the river would obviously require a huge upgrade to the current sewage treatment system so that the original problem wouldn't be recreated. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the water that gets discharged into the river would have to be clean enough that we'd be okay with it going into Lake Michigan. And today, Chicago officials say that's not the case. We know this water is still too dirty to go into the lake, but it's okay to go in the river, apparently. Uh, so, according to the Army Corps of Engineers, reversal would cost about $18 billion US. Great. I'm sure I mean, someone really wants to foot that bill. Sounds like a lot, but let's not fall into the common trap that governments and big blue corporations do where they ignore a good long-term solution because it costs some money in the short term. Yeah, I mean, so, I guess $18 billion is not the end of the world. So. Well, let's look. $500 million a year is spent to control the populations of the invasive zebra and quagga mussels in the Great Lakes Basin. Um, as it is, 98% of the mussels found in Lake Michigan are one of these two invasive species. They've already taken over to that extent. Wow. Um, the Great Lakes Commission argues a complete restoration of the natural divide could avoid billions not only in economic loss, but if it stops only a single aquatic invasive species from transferring between river basins, it would be worth it. Um, the total amount spent on all invasive species, so including the Asian carp now, by the Great Lakes region is over $2 billion a year. Yeah, so that pays for itself pretty quick. Right. The current commercial and sports fishing industries that draw over $7 billion a year in the Great Lakes and are now threatened by the Asian carp would probably say that that was worthwhile money to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the Canadian government did a a study that said the minimum breeding population needed to establish a foothold of Asian carp in the Great Lakes. Try to take a guess. How many breeding individuals do you think it would take until game over? 150? 20. 20. Yeah. We can't, we don't have time to play games here. We can't even 20 establish themselves. Um, the Army Corps found 254 aquatic nuisance species in the Mississippi Basin and the Great Lakes with 35 posing a significant risk in the short term. Um, And now the shipping. They found that closing the canal and cutting off water access from the Great Lakes to the Mississippi Basin 
would uh, have a pretty minimal impact on shipping. These days, less than 3% of the region's total transportation of goods and materials takes place on those waterways. Oh, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> and as we said before, Chicago needs some help. Part of the budget of this $18 billion would be to help Chicago with things like, well, things like this. As little as 1.5 inches of rain in a two-hour period is too much for Chicago's current drainage system to deal with. Part of that $18 billion, like I said, is, is two new reservoirs and storage tunnels for Chicago to deal with the flooding. Um, part of the Army Corps budget would also address the treatment of sewage and it would build new wastewater plants, mm-hmm. which, as we said, are sorely needed whether they re-reverse the river or not. Uh, yeah, right. Because so, sending it downstream isn't really... Uh, it's been a long-term solution for far too long. Yeah. Um, I just want to end with kind of a little uh, uh, little fun fact. Chicago... Um, Still likes to have fun by dumping things in their river. This is a Chicago thing to do. Okay. As part of a more than 50-year-old Chicago tradition, the Chicago River is dyed green every year for St. Patrick's Day. It <laughs> The tradition of dyeing the river actually came by accident when plumbers used a fluorescein dye to trace sources of illegal pollution discharge. Um, the dyeing of the river is actually still sponsored by the local plumbers union to this day. Hmm. Okay. But the EPA has um, outlawed the use of fluorescein for this purpose because it's really bad for the environment. It's an oil-based dye, you see. The parade committee has since switched to using about 40 pounds of this orange powder vegetable-based dye. They closely guard the exact formula. I won't tell anyone what's in it, but they insist it's been tested and it's totally fine for the environment, and we should totally believe them. Um, Fun fact, in 2009, new First Lady Michelle Obama requested the White House fountains be dyed green in honor of her native Chicago on St. Patrick's Day. Um, and then I'll end with this one. Green's not the only color. In 2016, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, Chicago dyed the Chicago River, Chicago Cubs blue. And I could not find what they used to dye it blue. All the articles I read said, don't worry, it's environmentally safe. Okay. Yeah, and that's my long story about uh, how humans did a pretty spectacular feat of engineering in a very short-sighted way, as we often did when we first, we got too much power too quickly and didn't have any idea how to consider long-term consequences, Yeah. but it's pretty amazing, I would say. Yeah, the technical feat is, is quite amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything else is depressing, but yeah. the technical feat is amazing. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> on that note, I'll thank everyone so much for tuning in to this episode of Teach Me Something. I have no idea what the next episode is going to be about. I might just have to throw a dart at a dartboard of my giant list of, of <laughs> topics and, and we'll see where we land. 
Uh, once again, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new.